But I look at suffering as like, it is the effort, it is the amount of toughness, it is the amount of everything that you're willing to go through to have the shot to potentially reach your objective. Rock climbing is a tremendous amount of failure for one moment of success. So you need to like digest that in a really healthy way where that feeling serves you to help you keep pushing towards the process. Mario Stanley knows all about the challenges of rock climbing. He's been scaling and bouldering walls with and without ropes, inside gyms, and out in nature for 15 years. The sport gave Mario a sense of direction at a time when he was feeling lost. His years of experience have allowed him to turn rock climbing into a full-time career. Mario coaches kids and he guides adults on outdoor adventures. As a mentor, Mario has learned that climbing is about more than just scaling to the top of a wall. It's an exercise in freedom, trust, and pushing through fear. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. A lot of Mario's students are between ages 3 and 18. 3 sounds pretty young, I know, but you should check out the videos of the kiddos climbing on YouTube. It's wild. Mario, on the other hand, didn't start climbing until his early 20s, but the sport basically took over his life. Ten years ago, Mario founded his own adventure guiding company called High Point Expeditions, and he's been coaching for even longer. Mario Stanley, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Tell me how you got into rock climbing. How did you discover the sport? I mean, I wish I had this like really, really great like story for that. But the honest truth is I was looking to take a girl on a date and I just Googled something activity. I didn't want to go to a movie. I didn't want to, I just didn't want to do anything boring. And I chose rock climbing at an indoor climbing gym and she hated it. I loved it. And so I started volunteering there very quickly after. And then my volunteering led to employment and employment led to management. Okay. So you, first of all, good on you for being original and wanting to take a girl, do something fun, adventurous, not to just dinner and a movie. I think that's great. What about rock climbing did you love that very first time? Like, I know it's hard to remember that many years ago. Oh, no, ago, it's not. I remember it like it was yesterday. Okay. Tell me. Absolutely. I found drive. Like I found something that just revved my engines not just physically, but intellectually. Because at first, you know, you're just moving, you feel cool, whatever. But then there hits a point with any sport where you actually have to start thinking. You have to have a, at least a general understanding of whether you can go right, left, sideways, up, down, diagonal, not just up and down. I'm curious, you know, when most people go to the climbing gym for the first time, they suck. Like, you have to try again and try again. And it's pretty easy to try again because it's right in front of you. And you fail and you fail. But if you keep trying and you fail and you keep failing and then you keep trying again, eventually you stop failing and you start succeeding. And that, to me, is like where your brain starts changing. Mm -hmm. So that first time, were you scared? Like, there's also this element of fear in oh, climbing no, I that I find. It. You're no, with absolutely. Okay. I was you with You don't it. have fear. Like, uh, no, I do. I, you no, do. No, no, okay. No, no, let's let's not get okay, out of sorry, hand sorry, here. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, I I am definitely a healthy dose of fear of life, God, and all things in the world. But fear, once again, is like your your feelings can be. I forget who said this, but your feelings can be your master or your servant. You decide who you want them to be. I choose the latter, and so 
when I'm scared of something, but I've already made the decision to do it. And I think if you are at the point where like you're scared to do something, you've probably done so much homework and work and different things to get yourself to this point that like you already know how to do it. It's just a matter of doing it. And so with climbing, the beauty of indoor rock climbing is, is we make routes easy enough for everyone that you can pretty much just walk up and do it as long as you have a little gumption and you know how to go up and down a set of stairs. There's always something for someone. And that is the joy and that is the experience. Once you get off the ground and you start moving under your own power, the whole world changes. We walk our whole lives and when you start going vertical, it's empowering. You mentioned something that I thought was really interesting. You said it was the first sport that gave you drive. And I'm really interested in this concept with wild ideas and why we do them and why we keep doing them. And I find that this thread is, it's, it's, it's kind of like purpose, but it's something different. It's like when you find surfing and you're like, okay, I want to keep doing this because it's fun and it feels good. But it's also something that I like want to wake up and do the next day and then get better at. Talk to me about why rock climbing did that to you on this date. Well, I think the thing is, is like, so kind of going to the whole concept of drive, like you kind of hit the nail on the head there when you talked about like wanting to get better. When you have drive, there is intent. And like, this is kind of the coach side of me coming out. Drive without direction is chaos. You're just going to get really frustrated. You're just going to get mad. Like It's just not going to work out. When I started climbing, I found myself having to be extremely present and every part of my body and everything that was going on. And it honestly gave me a little bit of peace at a time, especially in a time in my life where, you know, I had left school. I was kind of like on my own for the first time, living in my own apartment. It was just kind of a really down time. You know, I wasn't in a relationship. I was just kind of beating up myself up. And I would say this is like, I was on the road to nowhere really fast. And to me, that's sometimes like if you're on the road somewhere bad, at least you have a chance to course correct. If you're on the road somewhere good, it's good. But if you're going on the road to nowhere, that means you're blind to what's happening and you're just an autopilot. And climbing for me really kind of like saved my life in that mentality where it like gave me a little bit of purpose. Many of us have experienced feeling lost or just being stuck on autopilot. Sometimes it's hard to know where to go next. For Mario, finding the climbing gym was like a light bulb that illuminated his path forward. Pretty soon, Mario was spending all of his free time at the gym. He'd been at it for about a year when he finally decided to try climbing outdoors. I think what's so cool about rock climbing is it's something indoors that led you to the outside. And like, I don't know any other sport that really does that. So you were 20 something when you first rock climbed indoors. Was it someone at the climbing gym who invited you to go outdoor climbing? Yeah, my buddy Kenzie and my buddy Rob. And I had been climbing in the gym. I had been there for quite a while and I just hadn't gone outside yet. So we picked a date. Kenzie was like, you need to get all these things. You know, if there's anything you don't have, let me know. And then we'd wake up at two in the morning or three in the morning, drive all the way down to Rymer's Ranch, climb all day right when the park got open, go camp, and then turn around and leave almost at the same time the next day. I want to know how, like, like how did your perception of the outdoors change then from rock climbing? From when you were a kid, you probably had like a very different perception of what outdoorsy was and what the outdoors were like. And now you have a different perception. 
Very much so. Um, you know, I just thought outdoorsy shit was just like white people bearded shit. You know, that's really what I thought. I thought it was just complete white people stuff. Uh, you know, you, you had to look like the brawny man. And that's it growing up as a kid, you know, because I just didn't see anybody out there. There were people out there that looked like me doing it, but far and few between. There was just no representation, so I just never saw it. So it was a never thought process in my mind. Like, I could never think that I would be a rock climber. If you asked me as a kid, I would have never told you that. So I think the the point where nature really kind of took its hold on me and I really noticed its all and its magnitude was probably two major climbing trips. My first time at the Red River Gorge in Kentucky you just walk into that place, and it's like walking amongst the trees. You feel like you're in a land of giants. It's mythical. It's it's. I mean, it's the stuff that fairy tales are made out of when you're walking around there for the very first time, especially if you've never seen this before. I've never you've heard nev- of it or seen it. Tell me about this place. Oh, the Red, the red is this beautiful gorge just covered in woodlands, and it's just beautiful overhanging sandstone. There's trad there. There's everything there. I mean, like, you can climb an entire lifetime and not climb every route at the Red. And... It's uh, in the middle of this forest in Kentucky. There's these towering trees. They're probably a couple hundred feet, 200 feet tall. They're the size of like, some of them are as wide as cars. They're just massive. And I just remember that feeling of just being like in this magical place. The outdoors was a way for me to get outdoors and climb and sharpen my climbing skills because it was fun. But my relationship with nature and climbing changed when I went to the Red and especially when I went to uh, Red Rocks, Las Vegas. That place... If you've ever been there, it is just, it's this weird oasis right outside of the city. And for a few minutes hiking, you can be in towering sandstone canyons, climbing thousand foot plus feet. And there's thousands of routes of all grades, of all varying difficulties. And it just, I don't know. I think at that point, I started really looking at the outdoors in a way of like, I really want to have more opportunities to get to places like this. And so... I guess I started caring about it more. I started having a little bit more of an intimate relationship. I think that's when I like joined the Access Fund for the first time. And I, I think I am, I would probably call myself a, like a moderate activist. I care about it and I try to show it with like my dollars and I try to show it with my actions and then the kids that I coach because I take them outdoors rock climbing too. And when they get a chance to actually climb outdoors, I think it changes their perspective very much of the sport. And they learn that like, it's this massive world. Rock climbing is a worldwide thing. And I think it just gives you a better appreciation for this earth and this place that we live because you also have to understand that like, you have a very big job of stewarding them. For me, I think that's like how climbing has probably changed my relationship with the outdoors. You know, I never knew, really knew about it that much, nor did I care about it. And now I have such a sense of urgency to protect it and make sure there's more of it available. How did you decide to become a coach and then a guide? So coaching happened funny enough. I didn't have a car for a very long time living in Dallas. Uh, my car broke down and I was kind of in that point in my life where I'm like, do I buy a bicycle and still be able to eat and pay rent? Or do I buy a car and go broke? And I was like, all right, bicycle. And so that all whole thing leads up to one day I was going to go get lunch for all the rest of the crew. And only the few of the guys knew I didn't have a car. So one of them let me borrow his car and I actually got into a small fender bender. So I came back, I told him, and I didn't have any money to pay him. So I just started working for him in the youth program. And I was like, how about this? Like, you know, we came up to an agreement. I'll work for nine months, two days a week, and then we'll call it even. Well, at the end of nine months, he just didn't want to do this class anymore. And he was like, you know, do you want to run this class? And 
you know, once I just like kind of did the math, I was like, okay, I can make money doing this. And I saw that the program could grow. My coaching has evolved over the years, but essentially, you know, I'm trying to teach the kids not to grow up and be a jerk through rock climbing and their own failures and success. Because rock climbing is a tremendous amount of failure for one glorious moment of success. So those are the teachable moments I have with kids. How do you teach kids how to be good humans through climbing? Like, what are some of your techniques and tactics? I think the biggest thing is, it, it, it's really a complicated thing to, to answer that question because the reality is, is each kid is so different. But I think that I can sum it down into this is, ego and insecurity are the same thing. So when failure happens, it is your job as a coach to identify whether their ego is involved or whether they physically just can't do the move and knowing how to kind of like navigate those boats. Because sometimes they can't do the move, but they don't care. Sometimes they can't do the move and then their ego is involved and they think that they're a terrible climber. They think they're a terrible person and you're just like managing their emotions. Realistically, what you're trying to do is you're trying to be present, you're trying to listen to them, and you're trying to encourage them to do the assignment that is in front of them and get them to give you permission to coach them consistently. And I think that's like the hardest thing. And in that interaction, you are teaching them how to be just a nice human being and you're teaching them how to interact. I think this struggle with ego happens to a lot of athletes. I know there are times when I haven't been able to paddle out on a bigger day surfing, and it's hard not to wonder if there's something wrong with me. As we learn to overcome our insecurities, we can also practice compassion for ourselves and for other people. Guiding someone through those feelings of doubt is an incredibly valuable skill, particularly in a coach. When we come back, Mario talks about getting over fear and the lessons he's learned from climbing. Plus, he talks about his podcast, sends and suffers. Climber Mario Stanley discovered rock climbing on a date. He didn't fall for the woman he went with, but he did fall for the sport. He says climbing saved his life. It gave him a sense of direction and passion. Within a year of his first outdoor climbing trip, Mario was coaching kids at his gym. A few years later, Mario founded his own company, High Point Expeditions, to guide people on outdoor climbing trips around Dallas, Texas. There are a lot of challenging aspects of climbing. Some are physical, like gear or strength, but some are mental. How do you teach people to get over fear? Because in rock climbing, if you fall or you get unclipped or something happens, like it's, it's high consequences. Yeah, I mean, the stakes are high, but I, I think the thing is, is people have to understand it's like there's billions of dollars that goes into equipment and gear. Odds are you're not going to hit the ground. Like the only time you're going to hit the ground is user error. It's one of those things like if it works, it works. And I know that is like the worst thing in the say, but like with climbing, once you learn the skills and a lot of people say like the hard skills are like knowing how to grip these holds and grab onto a sloper and do a mantle and do all these cool moves on the wall. That's the hard skills. I say those are the soft skills. Those are the easiest ones to learn. The hardest skills to learn are the things like using equipment. I think like the biggest barrier to climbing is just accepting that you don't know what to do and you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And so how I teach people to get over their fear is by getting them to master a skill. And then the mastery of that skill produces you know, good hormones in their brain and they'll, they'll latch onto that. And it's just, it's a build and you build on top of it. 
And I'm not saying fear is not a part of it. It's still very much a part of it. But when you fall, you have a working knowledge of if everything goes according to plan, then I'm not going to hit the ground. I might get banged up a little bit. It's not without some risks. The next step is getting people to trust themselves. You know, I say 50% of all rock climbing comes from your abs and your legs. 25% comes from your arms. The last 25% is just don't scare the crap out of yourself. Once you've got all these other tools down, like you, you really give someone a really good foundation to climb off of and build off of. And then from that moment on, it's just, it really is like identifying like, hey, is it a strength problem? Is it a climbing problem or is it a you problem? And we have to have those conversations a lot. And that is how I think most people in climbing get over their fears, at least all my athletes that I train and coach. I think that's really my coaching style, like how I get people past that. You know, being a coach and a guide, it comes with a lot of responsibility. And it's one of these jobs that isn't always paid like amazing amounts for the impact you have. I was a surf coach for years. Uh, let's oh. take, let's change this. I was a surf teacher, a surf instructor. I pushed people into whitewash. Because I, I, I don't think I coached people to like, I coached, I was a basic coach for years. I taught people how to get up in like okay, white water. Okay, I got a bone to pick with you real fast. Can, it, can, can, can I pick a bone with you like super you fast? Okay, let's go. Okay, you are a coach. I think that's the thing you have to understand that like you are a coach. It doesn't matter what you teach. There are only like four coaches, maybe five that kids come across their lives. There are the people who introduce them to the sport and get them excited about it. And then the next coach is someone who identifies they have some form of gumption, whether it's drive, they have actual talent, but they identify that. And then they grab that kid and then they start to mold them. And then everything above is your like, you know, higher level coaches. But like, Got it. if you inspired them, then you're a coach. Okay. Well, thank you for helping me correct that in myself. I appreciate that. And I appreciate that you push back on me. So I was a beginner coach for years and it's like one of these jobs where you have, I've never had a job like this. Like when I do a podcast, I have someone's story in my hands, but I don't have their life in my hands. Oh, yeah. When I was a surf coach, I would have someone's life in their hands and all of their fears and all of their insecurities and all the baggage they took with them to the beach that day. So I find it a really interesting career and an interesting position to be in that's unlike any other. And I tell people like, go be a guide or a coach. It is the best way to get into the outdoors and experience and give back and help take care of the planet. Because if you teach someone to love the outside, they're going to care for it. But Agreed. it's interesting because you don't think of it like that. So I'm really curious about your relationship with being a coach and a guide and the responsibility that it comes with and what it's given you. I think coaching and guiding the biggest thing that they've probably given me is it's given me a kind of sense of responsibility because at the end of the day, like whatever I have taught you, whatever I have shown you has to be of the highest. And I also have to be someone where like, if I did something wrong, I have to own up to it. And so I, I think that it's given me a healthy respect for people who have the ability to just kind of try something new. Like, it teaches you a certain level of respect. I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing is, is it gave me a sense of pride knowing that I'm teaching people. And I think the last thing is, is probably the relationships that I've had because I've taught quite a few people to climb over the years. So I think those are like the three most important things that it's given me. 
the things that I think that I've unintentionally learned were humility, because I can think of many a times when like, oh, I was on Mount Whitney years ago climbing and we were just booking and moving. And I will never, ever, ever, ever forget like the moment that I realized we're not gonna summit before dark. And it was just this moment where I was just like, okay, like what do I need to do? And it was just like this humbling moment where it's just like, okay, I didn't plan this well and I don't have time to think about this right now. I needed to think about like, what is my best solution? And luckily I had a really good group of friends who we all put our heads together and we all got through the situation beautifully. And that whole experience was one of the many that I think has taught me a lot of like humility because at the end of the day, like, you know, I'm still trying to get better at this sport. And I think ultimately that it also means I'm trying to be a better person in general too. Mario doesn't just strive for improvement as a climber. He's also dedicated to becoming a better coach and guide. People rely on him, and this responsibility has shifted his perspective. At the end of the day, climbing with others is all about having fun and working together. It's a fulfilling job, but when the pandemic hit in 2020, Mario had to figure out a way to scratch his itch for adventure. So he started a podcast called Sends and Suffers. So in the pandemic, you started this podcast. Sends and Suffers podcast, yes. Sends and Suffers. Talk to me about it. Okay. I guess the, the, the only way to say it is to pitch for it. So Sends and Suffers podcast is all about talking about the sending and suffering that you have done in your life to make you the beautiful person you are today. And that's all I want to talk to you about. I love it. And they have to deal with rock climbing, though, mostly. Kind of, yeah. Around the world of rock climbing. So... It is a rock climbing podcast because I am a rock climber, but like some of my future guests coming up are paddleboarders or kayakers. One person is an ultra runner. So like I'm going to branch out, but okay. not right now. Primarily it is about rock climbing just because I happen to be a climber and I talk about the things that I'm interested in. But I'm also curious to so like, I have the saying that I say, like, if you're not suffering, are you really sending at all? Like if you're really not putting work into it, like, did you really want it that bad? Was it really that sweet? Was it really that good? Was it bitter, sweet? You know? Why did you start it? Why did you want this podcast out in the world? So this podcast actually came from a suggestion from a friend. And it came from actually going on climbing trips with friends. So like, I don't know if you've gone like camping with a bunch of people before, but generally speaking, most people just kind of partner up. Unless there's like this big bonfire and it's really cold, Everyone just partners up in their little groups of who they've been climbing with all day. And it honestly just bugged me. So I just remember one day I was like, all right, everyone, everyone, come on over. And I was like, all right, here's what I want to hear. I want to hear the sends and the suffers of your day. Like, what was your send? What was your suffer of the day? And we just go around in a big circle. And I'll never forget. But this guy said his biggest send and suffer of the day. He's like, my send is being here, just being here. My first climbing trip. I'm excited to be here. But then his suffer is what hit everybody in the gut. He's like, I traded three shifts and I basically have like two or three doubles in a row when I get back to Dallas. And we were all just looking at it and all of us were like blown away. We're like, I just, I just requested off for the weekend, you know? Tell me about this concept really quickly more. Sending and suffering. This is such gold. Okay. But I look at suffering as like, 
It is the effort that you are putting into, it's the amount of BS, it is the amount of toughness, it is the amount of everything that you're willing to go through to have the shot to potentially reach your objective. And if you reach your objective, you are sending the mountain, you are standing on the top of this thing, you get to enjoy the view, but we all know rock climbing is a tremendous amount of failure for one moment of success. So you're suffering a lot. So you have to kind of like look at all that and you need to like digest that in a really healthy way where that feeling or that thought serves you to help you keep pushing towards the process. And I think just sharing your vulnerability is the sauce. The whole premise was just to get people at a campfire to start talking to each other. Inadvertently, people started becoming much better friends and our group was very strong. And uh, yeah. The feeling of the send is the sauce in the fridge. It is the sauce. It is the sauce. I oh. I love that. I mean, like don't get me wrong. Like everything up leading to it is that's it. Like you cooking and working, but yeah, the sauce is where it's at. How many shows have you done? I have on air, I think twenty seven or thirty seven, but I've done like close to like forty or fifty. Podcasting is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody gets it until they do it. Yeah, no, like I'm more power to you. Any uh any stories that you have of sending and suffering that you think embodies what that means? Mm, I would probably have to say like a climbing story that I can think of is Will Brock and I were trying to do Texas Hold'em, uh this route in Black Velvet Canyon a couple of years back in Red Rocks, Las Vegas. And we were on this climb for two days. Like we went up it couldn't figure it out, had to bail. But this thing kicked our butt. And I'll never forget that like I was, I think it was pitch five. There's this like traverse and Will's like six foot four. So different, very different style climbing. And he just like flutters through this thing. And I'm doing this sideways dyno. A dyno is when all four points come off the wall and you grab onto another hold. And I was just like literally for hours. And I finally remember him just saying to me, like, yo, bro, do you want to just like, like, we got to get up this thing. Like, I'll just assist you, but we have to get up this thing because it's getting dark. And I just remember looking at him like, all right. And I was so defeated and I was going through all this suffering. So maybe the suffering is actually the sauce. And I just remember the moment I just did not care anymore. The moment I was like, okay, I'm like, I've done this thing a hundred times. I'm just going to try it one more time. Whether we send this move or not, we're just going to move on and get past it. And the moment I found that I did not care, I did the move. And it was beautiful. This beautiful sideways dyno hit the hold. And I just kept on climbing. And Will's screaming his head off. And I'm just like, don't listen to him. Just keep climbing. Just keep climbing. Just keep climbing. Get into anchors. And I was freaking hype. It was really good. It was a proud, proud, proud moment. But I think that's the thing is like... You have to go through a certain amount of suffering for anything to be worth it. If there isn't a little bitterness, then how do you know if it's really sweet? If there isn't a little bit of suffering, then how did you know it was really a send? You don't. If you just walked up and did it, okay, I mean, I'll give you your participation ribbon if you want it. But if there is no burn, if there is no suffer, it's not really worth it. Rock climbing has taught Mario a lot about pushing himself outside of his comfort zone. He had to do a little suffering so he could send it, you know? Still, Mario has been very lucky to find a passion that gives him so much purpose. Now his only goal is to help more people experience the sport that changed his life. Mario Stanley, I had so much fun talking with you. 
Your energy and your confidence is just infectious. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You can all check out Mario's website, mariostanley.com, for information about all of his endeavors, including High Point Expeditions. You can also find his podcast, Sends and Suffers, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And lastly, you can follow Mario on Instagram at Mario R. Stan. That's M-A-R-I-O-R-S-T-A-N. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, written and edited by Annie Fassler and Sylvia Thomas of Puddle Creative. Our senior producer is Chelsea Davis, and our associate producer is Jenny Barber. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. As always, we love it when you follow this show, when you rate it, and when you write a review wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest idea.